Good morning again. Um, we've been doing a series on the book of James and basically talking about the nature of testing. Is James gave us his introduction into, into what he was going to be talking about throughout that whole book. And it's basically dealing with tests. And I thought about it this morning. I said, what if we lived in a world where there is no test? Man, I'm going to tell you, I would have had a Ph.D. in everything. <laughs> I would have been Dr. Isaac in the hospital room, Dr. Isaac in the business world. I would have been a scientist, a mathematician a lawyer, I would have had all of those titles, but guess what? I would have known nothing. <laughs> I'd have been the guy walking around in the hospital with a stethoscope on and a white coat that you would not want to come in your room. Tests are necessary in this life in everything. What if this guy that, that, that wired this building he wired the building up. The city of Opelika said, I don't need to check it. And the guy that wired it didn't test it. I paid him, he left, we turned the lights on and the building burned down. Because nobody tested to see if it was right. What if every car that you drove was never ever tested? You're driving down the road, if most of you are like me, you're going beyond what the speed limit says. You know, everybody believe I got five miles over. Depends on what day it is and how the police are feeling, whether you got no five or not. But you're driving down the road, man, you, with all the confidence in the world, and you hit your brakes and the pedal goes to the floor because the car was never tested. What if God put people in place, in position, and never tested them? You know, even in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, I believe it is, it says, God sent his people through the wilderness so that he could test them, to prove them, to know what was in their heart, whether they would obey him or not. And I believe that he was saying that he did it so that they would know what was in their heart. Not whether he would know, because he already knows what's in our heart. So, James is taking us on a journey through his book, and today we want to talk about the nature of testing. James chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, it says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Isn't that awesome? I'm nothing and God brings me up. It's a test. But the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. I'm high and God brings me down. It's a test. You know, I thought about, when I was thinking about a test, I thought about this thing that comes on TV 
This is a test from the American broadcasting system. In case of an emergency, you will know where to go and what to do. And you know what? That always comes on at the favorite part of my show. <laughs> right when my team is running toward the goal line, and I'm trying to wonder if they made it. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. <laughs> And he said, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion, there, fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in all his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. One of the most difficult things we will ever have to understand is why do bad things happen? Why did 9-11 happen? Why did it happen? Why did Hurricane Katrina go and devastate New Orleans? Why did the Virginia Tech situation happen? Why did Columbine happen? Everybody has all these questions in their heart and mind why these things happen. And so why do we have sickness and pain and disease and heartbreak in our world today? And if you ask, if you ask most people that understand the scripture, what will they tell you? It's, it's a result of sin, not necessarily our own sin, but the original sin. That would be the answer. And that sounds good. We live in a fallen world. God is cursed. It's been cursed. Most of it's been cursed. It's because of the sin that was committed by Adam and Eve. That's the answer what people would give. But what about, how about, what about when we are the ones that's being tested? When we are the ones that's going through a test or a trial? What about those times? What about then? How do they help when you're the one who's lost a spouse? When you're the one that's been diagnosed with an in incurable disease, how and what would your answer be then? God has the power to do anything except to contradict his own nature. He will not contradict himself. And I heard a man say this, and I disagreed with him, TV preacher, he said God is not in control of everything. He said he's not in control of everything. He doesn't cause everything, but what he doesn't cause, he allows. I truly believe, reading Job chapter 1, if you read Job chapter 1, you look at Job and you see what was happening. God, that was God allowing us to see behind the scenes what was going on in the natural. God having a meeting with his son. The devil comes up. God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's perfectly an upright man, one to fear God and issue with evil. And the devil said, he's only that way because you blessed him. He said, let me touch him. Let me, let me, let me afflict him. Let me do something and I'll make him curse you to your face. And this is what God said. He said, you can touch anything that he has, but you cannot touch him. The devil said, I'll take it. He left immediately, 
He took everything that Job had, and the last thing that he lost was his children. Job tore his clothes, took off his clothes, put on sackcloth, shaved his head, put ashes on himself, fell to the ground. He said, naked I came into this world, naked shall I return. The Lord had given, the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, in that Job sinned not, nor accused God falsely. God let us see that the devil could only go how far? As far as God let him. God told him, said, now you, can't, you can touch anything that it has, but you can't touch him. And the devil came back again and he said, skin for skin. He said, a man will give anything to save his own self, save his own life. And so God said, you can touch him, but what? You can't take his life. So what was the devil really? He was, on a, he was like a puppet on a string. He could only go and do what God allowed him to do. So God may not cause it, but he allows it. In Romans 8, 28, and it says, We know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. The big question is this. God works all things together for good. Now, how could he do that if he was not truly in control? How could he work everything together for good? How could he do it if he did not ordain everything? Now, don't get confused. Ordain doesn't mean cause. Ordain means to cause or to allow. Cause or allow. And God ordains everything, including trials, including testing, like everything God ordained by God. He intends testing and trials for what? For our good. He does it for our good. But Satan has a different plan. He intends it for evil. Satan actually twists God's good test and turns them into temptation. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve was tested, God wanted them to pass the test. His desire was for, for, us to, for them to pass. The devil's desire is for us to fail by giving in to the test, by giving in to the temptations that he brings. So James' word for tempted, he used it six times. It does not carry in every case the negative meaning that we think that it means. It simply meant test or trial. So where the different meaning comes into play, and this is, this is critical, is in how the test is intended. What is the test intended for? God wants it for good. Satan wants it for evil. And that's when temptation comes into play, the way we understand temptation. That's when it comes into play. How is the test intended? How is it meant? What's the plan? What's the purpose behind it? Okay? So today, let us free from the, flee from the devil's temptation by recognizing that God is in control of testing us. Testing us. Nobody really wants it. How many folk want to be tested? I listened to a song, and, and, I, and I was really listening to the song that Marcus played. The song that said, I'm willing to do anything. 
How many of us can honestly say that for real? I'm willing to do anything, anything, anything. I'm going to tell you what I was singing when they were singing that song. God help me to want to do anything, anything, anything. Because the truth of the matter is, if you were really, you know, and I listen to some, I listen to some songs that actually talk about, you know, shake me, make me, break me, mold me. And I'd be like, you better quit playing. You better quit playing. I mean, God's serious. He's serious. I remember one time I was, I'm, I'm going to be real spiritual, you know. I'm going to pray this spiritual prayer. I prayed, I said, God, if it's anything in my life that I'm trusting other than you, I want it gone. And next thing that happened, I lost my job. I'm like, hold up. Wait a minute. I didn't really mean that. <laughs> You know, you know, we all think that God is going to, you know, wave some kind of magic wand over us and, and we're going to wake up one day and we're going to just be just so different. When I said, God, remove everything that I'm trusting other than you. Anybody had told me I would be unemployed, I'd take that prayer back. I'm serious. So when we recognize God's hand in our testing, we can enjoy the freedom that only comes from by faithfully passing the test. God's ultimate goal and desire is that we pass the test. In order to do that, we got to look at two in intentions for the test that we go through. The first intention is God's intention. That's the first intention. God's intention. Okay? So, God's intention for tests are good. Some of the hardest questions people ever have to ask, why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad folks? Anybody ever ask that? You know, I'm wondering why, man, I'm wondering why the dope dealer can ride in a Jaguar and I got to ride in a Buick. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm trying to understand. I'm wondering why my car is smoking and his is not. I'm not the first somebody to ask it. Psalm 73, verse 3 through 5, he said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Look like they're doing good, man. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. It looked like the wicked are blessed. I look at folks that got millions of dollars, and I'm like, God, why didn't you give me that money? So I could put it to good use and buy me a mansion. <laughs> and have more cars than I can drive. More jewelry than I can wear. More clothes than I can put on. More food than I can eat. Why didn't you give it to me? You see what I would have done. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah felt the same way in Jeremiah 12.1. He said, wherefore... Doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? I think Jeremiah and the psalmist actually see life from an from a outside perspective. How many folk know that most folks are just putting on? 
and the folks that got a lot of stuff ain't, ain't really happy. I was shocked when I found out that Halle Berry was one of the most miserable people in the world. I was shocked when I heard that. I was shocked when you could see somebody as beautiful as she is, as wealthy as she is, and yet miserable. Found out can't nobody live with her. I don't find that hard to believe. So that, that question has been around forever. So what's the answer? What is the answer? John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3 says this, and, Jesus, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, we equate problems with what? Sin. Sin. When Job's friends came, they said, we have never seen this much tragedy in a man's life and there not be some sin somewhere. Something has to be wrong. But Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, Jesus told him that the man had been blind from his birth for a reason he had endured the physical test of handicap his entire life for one reason, to glorify God. Now let me ask you, does that seem to be, does that sound to be right or fair? I'm blind, I am blind, so God can look good. It don't matter whether it's fair, whether we think it's fair or not. Doesn't even matter whether we think it's right or not. Let me say this, and I'm, and I'm getting ahead of myself when I say this, but I got to say it now because it's on my heart to say it. Who has more right to do what he want, wants to people than God? Who has more right? The Bible says in the book of Romans, he said, can the, can the clay say to the potter, why has thou made me thus? In the book of Revelation, it says, we were made for what? His good pleasure. Can the creature say to the creator, why are you doing this to me? And I feel like God has more right than anybody, anybody, to do what he want to do. To use us however he sees fit to, make, to, 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 to do whatever he wants to do with people. Is his, is his, is his right. So God intended good tests and trials for, for, for that man's life, just like he does for you. He intends good tests, good tests, for us to pass the test. He has good intentions for, and his tests are good. So first he shows us the pattern for God's testing in verse 9 through 11. Sometimes God tests by exalting the humble, and most of the time, we don't think that is being a test, do we? If God brings somebody up, is it a test? Surely. God can test us with prosperity. Man, let me get in line for that one. I mean, anybody here don't want him to test you with prosperity? Anybody? Anybody got enough money? Everybody, I want to meet you. Come see me after church because I could use some of all that you got where you think you got enough, you got more than enough. 
and you don't want, want to be in this place, you know, but, you know, everybody think they want to volunteer to be tested with more money. It's like me when I was a kid, and I asked, my stepdad was, uh, my stepdad was outside one day, and, and, you know, back in that day, we didn't have mice, you know, mice were about this big, you know, probably tail and all, they were about this big. We had rats. They, they, were, they were this long without the tail. You know, they get caught in the trap and walk, walk off with the trap. Yeah. So he, he was outside with a 38. You know, he was outside with a 38. Shooting these rats. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, y'all. I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to hear rats gnawing to get in the house. I mean, you hear them gnawing on the wood, trying to cut their way in. And you go to the, go to the floor and stomp, he keep on gnawing. <laughs> he ain't intimidated by you. We we think that we we think that we're prepared. My point behind that was we think that we're prepared. I wanted my stepdad to get me one of those thirty-eights. I mean, it was it was interesting to see him, you know, shoot those rats, man. And I wanted one of those thirty-eights. And I'm glad. I thank God to this day that he didn't get me a thirty-eight because guess what? He would have been missing. Mama would have been missing. Mary would have been missing. I possibly would have been missing. I can see it now. Pow! The kickback, because I'm too small to hold the thing. Yeah. Anyway, we can define prosperity a little way, in a lot of ways, but the number one way that comes to us is what? Money. Money. Stuff. Things, gold, stuff, yeah, prosperity. Listen at this. Evelyn Adams won the New Jersey lottery not just once but twice in 1985 and 1986. She went from average middle class to multimillionaire overnight. And guess what? Today she's in debt up to her eyeballs and living in a trailer. <laughs> won it twice. Yeah, she won it. She won it, won the lottery two times. I'm telling you, man, that was the guy, the guy here in this city, won eight million dollars. Won the eight million dollar lottery, and guess what? He was still a police officer. And not only was he a police officer on the side, he had a lawn service. After winning eight million dollars. We think that we are prepared and ready for blessings and plenty. I look at some of these young guys that, that get these $30 million con football contracts. Young. Michael Vick. Michael Vick, perfect example. He got all that money, and he won a football. He, he, he's good at football. He got all his money. Okay, now, let's, let's, let's spend some of the money. Okay, he went and bought mama a house, he bought brother a house, he bought sister a house, he bought him a house, he bought all the cars he wanted, he bought all the jewelry he wanted, he traveled where he wanted to go, he did everything he wanted to do. Okay, and it's still 25 million left. Now what we're we gonna do? Oh, 
let's fight some dogs. <laughs> it take a mind to handle money, I'm telling you, because if you don't, money will handle you. Yeah. You think you got it till you get it, and then you realize it got you. But money is just one way for God to test the humble by exalting them. Have you ever seen somebody get promoted and they, and they start treating folks different? Man, it sounds like everybody been in that, in that position. Somebody thinking about their boss man right now. Yeah. He was nice till he got that job. Yeah, a lady came to me and told me to, uh, one day, she said, you done changed since you got promoted. I said, not really. I said, before I was ever over any people, I would bite your head off. When I got to be a supervisor, I'd bite your head off. And with this job, I'll still bite it off. And change the lip. I'm still the same guy. You don't, yep, yep. I still walk on the green mile. Yep. Seen anybody move into a higher class neighborhood and act differently? So the question is, how do you react to the blessing God gives you? When you're given the blessing of prosperity, can God, God can test you with prosperity. I'm going to tell you the flip side of it. I've seen folks that didn't have nothing that were arrogant. Had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you would think, you know, the way they carry themselves and the way they act, you would think if I follow them home, I'm going to find them in a mansion. No, they were living over there in Hardaway, man. In the projects. Yeah. I'm serious as I can be. This is not a joke. They were, they were living in a project, but if you looked at them the way they acted and carried themselves, you would think they had a mansion and servants. And they were the head maid at somebody's house. Thought they were somebody. So, he can also humble the exalted like verse 10 and 11 says, and this kind, none of us want to get in line for. This kind of test we see as tragedy or trial when someone loses a house or loses a job, when they lose a child. is that kind of test people respond by shaking their fist at God and they say, God, how could you let this happen? I remember a man when I was working at a prior job, he actually came and said to me, because I, I was witnessing to everybody, and he said, my, my sister killed herself or she got killed some kind of way. And he, How can God allow this to happen? He fell out with God because of that. Well, let me say this. This is what I was getting ready to say a little while ago, and I'm going to finish saying it now. God is the one that has more right than anybody to take anything you got to raise you up as high as he wants and to bring you as low as he wants, to take your children, to take your wife, to take your husband, to take anything you got, he has the right. Why do I say that? Guess why I say that? Because God the Father himself, he allowed his son to be taken. Jesus the son, he actually came down from heaven 
to this slum we call earth that we just love so much. He came down, left all of his glory and came down here. In other words, his, all those mansions and gold streets and pearly gates and angels bowing before him. He left all of that to come here for people to spit on him and mock him and beat him and mistreat him and say all kind of things about him and accuse him. So who has a right to take what you have? God. God. And I'm going to say this to you. You're worth nothing until you've been tested. You are worth absolutely nothing until you've been tested. It's easy. I always say it's easy for us to praise God when I got my bills paid. When it's food in the refrigerator. When my cars are running, my children are fine. I got me a good job. I got this lovely wife. I got all of this stuff. It's easy to come to church and say, hallelujah. But can you say it when you just lost a spouse, when you just lost a child, when you just lost a house, when you're unemployed and don't know where your next meal is coming from? That's when praise has value. That's when, see, when most of the time we praising God for what we got and not for who he is and what he's done. When, when I can praise him when I don't have anything. That's what matters. When I'm laying sick on my sick bed and I've seen him heal somebody. But he won't heal me. And I still lift my hands and say, God, you are still good. You are still awesome. You have that right. You have that right. Whether I want to give it to you or not, you have the right. When does God look his best? When you're at your worst and acting your best. I told those people at work, I said, when I lose my job, you know, they usually call the police when something they're getting ready to terminate you. I said, man, don't call no police when you get ready to terminate me. Just give me 15 minutes so I can hug y'all neck and get out of here. Amen. You're not going to need the police. I'm not going to be mad. Trust me. Yes. It's the kind of test that Job's wife responded to him by telling him, curse God and die. The question is, the question is not how, and it is a question, how you respond when you're blessed. Because let me tell you something. Most folks, when their life get good, they go missing. You want to find a man on his knees? He got trouble. You want to find a man, pray occasionally? Life's good. He reads his Bible every now and then. He comes to church and he blesses God with his presence. How do you react when tragedy strikes when you're given the test of humility? How would you act if today you were the boss and tomorrow you were cleaning up? I remember when I was working at Flowers Bakery, I was a supervisor. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now I'm at Briggs and Stratton and I'm the janitor. I'm cleaning up behind people. 
Yeah. I'm going to tell you how I handled it. I didn't want nobody to see me dumping trash. I thought I was too good for that. Pride. When God brings you from high to low, how do you take it? How do you respond? What do you say? How do you try to conceal it? Do you still try to wear the same stuff? So folk won't know you ain't got nothing? Do you still try to conduct yourself in the same way so people will look at you and say, man, she got it going on. Don't know in your refrigerator there's only water and the only reason you got it is coming out the faucet for free. It's free. It's free. It's free. Yeah. Looking good to the world, trying to fool people, trying to impress people. Let me tell you something. It is better, it is better for God to say, well done, than for folks to praise you while you're trying to fool them. So his intention for testing is good. He got to have a goal in mind, got to have a reason. And God's good intention for testing is found in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to him, to them that love him. He said, blessed is that man. So he intends for you to pass the test of prosperity successfully. If he tests you with prosperity, he intends for you to be a good steward of what he gives you. You know, the truth of the matter is, the, the, the real deal about money, let me tell you what the problem is with money. Money is one of those things that it's intended to pass through. The problem with money is, is when I get it, I grab it, I claim it, and I own it as my own. That's when you got a problem. That's when prosperity hurts. See, you know, a lot of us won't, won't, help, the, won't help the person that's hungry because we're saying to ourselves, I'm not giving him my money. Let him get a job. You don't know that it's only a test. Because I'm going to tell you something. Life can fall to all of us at any given moment in time. And it could be you standing there wanting $2 to go inside the grocery store. It could be you. And this is what I tell people. All the money I got belongs to God. And if you bold enough to take it and go buy some wine, help yourself. If you want, if you bold enough to take my money and go buy you some drugs, man, go buy them, please. Because this is what's going to happen. It, my money is God's money. The problem is when you take ownership of it. And so when I, when I give people money, man, man, help do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Because guess what? My hands are like this and it's going to always flow. It's coming in and going out. It's coming in and going out. It's coming in and going out. It's when the hands get like this. It can't come in and it can't go out. You got this hand like this, but you got this hand like this. Guess what? It ain't going nowhere. Not going anywhere. And so God expects for us to be a good steward of what he gives us. 
and to prove that we don't own, that, that the money don't belong to you. See, the thing of it is, I can go over there and get Ray's wallet, open it up, take all the cash out, put it in the offering box, and not have one feeling about it. Not one, don't bother me a bit. Why? It ain't my money. I can get the wealthiest lady in here, go get her pocketbook, take all the money out of it, and bring it up here and shake it out of this. And I want you to lose not one minute sleep. Because the money is not mine. And see, if you develop that mindset that the money is not mine, then you just got free to give it away, to not be bound by it. But when you're sitting there thinking, man, I, my, my money. I'm going to tell you, I got that way one time. I, I remember I was going to this, this particular church and I had a particular preacher and he had a car and a, and a suit to match every week. His suit and his car. He got out of his suit. You couldn't tell when he got out of it because he looked just like the car. <laughs> and this is what I said. I said, I'm not giving that man my money so he can go buy them cars. And I stopped, I stopped, giving, my money. I stopped giving my money to the church. I ain't buying him no suit to match his car. Mm -mm. Mm. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. This is what happened to me. And one time I got to the place where I said, you know, I had, I had my money and I had my bills. And I said, man, I'm going to take this money and pay my bills. And not gonna pay, I'm not going to pay my tithes. I'm going to pay my bills. And at the end of uh, however long, I looked back at my life and this is what I said. I said, man, I said, now I'm in double trouble because that little money I took from God didn't pay the bills. Now I owe God and the bill collector. <laughs> I made up in my mind that day that the first check that I'm going to write is to God. Now, I had to do this. I could never get them together. I could never get them together. But you know what? To this very day, I survived. God took care of me. Yeah, I ate chicken legs and no, no, no vegetables. Yeah. I ate Roman noodles, still like them now. Yeah. But you know what? God got me now where I can go eat what I want to eat. Did it happen overnight? No. Nah. Me and my wife were laughing just the other day. We were talking about, man, we've been married 24 years. Our 24 years, we finally did some work on the house. But guess what? We were happy with it like it was. All right. <laughs> happy with it. And y'all should have seen us when we first got married, man. We don't don't tell them. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's move on then. Let's move on. Let's move on. She don't want me to tell that part. <coughs> oh man. If God tests you with humility, he intends for you to look to him in faith. He intends for you to look to him in contentment like Paul did. 
If God brings you low, he's trying to get you to trust him. He's trying to get you to the place where you will rely on him. That's the purpose of the test. That's, he's trying to get you to the place where you learn how to be content. Man, it did not bother me to, to eat chicken legs every day. You know, my wife, people at work, people at work know what's in my lunchbox. Because I eat the same thing every day. I've been doing it for years. They know what's in my lunchbox. I get, I get, I get texts with pictures of applesauce on it because they know that that was one of the things that was in my lunchbox. And I eat the same thing every day. And my wife said, how, how in the world you eat the same thing every day all these years? Guess what? Let me tell you something. If you leave home and eat at 2 o'clock and at 7 o'clock you hadn't eaten since 2 o'clock, when you get to that lunchbox, you don't really care what it is. <laughs> when I open that lunchbox, man, it's, it's, it's brand new. It's a whole nother day. God intends for us, he intends for us to show his strength through the weakness of our humility. God, Paul said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. So, so whether, whether God tests you through prosperity or humility, his intentions are the same. He wants you to pass the test. Verse 12 says you are truly blessed. You're blessed with the eternal reward and a crown of life. And he said, now, your present reward is the hope of God's promise. The security that you know that you're in God's will. Guess what, man? You don't know the value of this, the word of God. You don't know the value of it. That's your reward on the earth is God's promise. His promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. My God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you know, I listen to people say, I can do all things through Christ who give me the strength. See, they, they think that that scripture, and it does mean that I can do everything, all things. But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul said, I've been down. And I know how to do it. He said, I've been on the top. And I know how to live on the top. He said, I've suffered. And I know how to suffer. I've been blessed. I know how to be blessed. I can do all things. And how did he do it? I did it through Jesus who gave me the strength. I suffered hunger. I've been full. I know how to do both of them. I've had lack. I had an abundance. I know how to live in both worlds. I know how to be content. And that's why our security comes in the promise of God. Now, is it easy? No, it is not easy. It's difficult. So, what happens so often when we're given a tough, tough test, what do we do? We blame God. We shake our fist at God. We ask God, why do you allow this happen to me? This is unfair, not fair. I asked somebody, I said, what does fair mean? They be talking about the people on the job. Hey, this is unfair. That's unfair. I just said, yeah, y'all are not fair. Do you know fair has as many definitions as we have people? It depends on who you ask what fair means. 
Treat everybody the same. You can't do that. And then the guy told me, he said, he said, he said y'all already demonstrated. Y'all don't care nothing about the people. I said, hold up, you said two words that's wrong. Y'all. I said, I was born by myself, I'm going to die by myself. Don't lump me with nobody. And I said, he said, the company, no, he said, the company, company has already shown that they don't care nothing about us. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. The company. Who's the company? I said, the folks outside of these four walls. But I said, I can tell you this right here. I said, I've worked for area managers that cared for me. I was out sick. They said, Isaac, stay out as long as you need to. We'll take care of this. I remember when her niece was killed. I told them I got to leave and go to Philadelphia now. They said, Isaac, go leave. Stay as long as you need to. I was out two weeks and they paid me for every day I was out. No vacation. Not, not vacation. Just paid me. Yeah, the company don't care nothing about you, but I said, you work for people that do. So don't try to, don't, don't play me like that. Don't play me like that. What is fair? We always accuse God of being unfair, unjust. God is always just. Don't ever forget it. Why do we do that? We blame God because we failed the test that he played before us. And when we failed the test, we've done exactly what the devil wants us to do. We've done what he intends for us to do. Verse 13 says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. The meaning of the word temptation or trial in this verse has a negative meaning. Why? Because it's coming from the devil. It's coming from the devil. And he intends for us to fail. The second intention for the test that we go through are Satan's intentions. And look at verse 14 and 15. But every man is tempted. Look now. When he is drawn away. How is he drawn away? His own lust. And then he's enticed. The word enticed actually means to set the hook. It's like a fisherman. He, 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 he set the hook. So first he draws you away. Then he sets the hook. And then he says, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Now, you got to look at some unique words here. Okay? So, tempting is what Satan hopes to achieve from God's testing. Remember back in the Garden of Eden. Okay? God tested them. He made a tree. called it the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He gave them a rule. He said, don't eat off of that, eat off of that fruit off of that tree. Why did God have to make the tree? Why did he have to make the rule? Why did he do it? He made the test, made the tree he, as a test. He was intending for Adam and Eve to pass it. But guess what the devil did? The devil came along and twisted what God said and made it a temptation. So God intended for Adam and Eve to pass the test. Satan intended for them to fail. He twisted it and turned God's test into a temptation. And Adam did exactly what he wanted them to do. He did exactly what he wanted them to do. He wanted to discredit God by us failing the test. Both of them have a pattern for testing. 
God and the devil, both got a test. And, and see, when we see the word lust there, we automatically think of sexual lust. That's part of it, but not all of it. Look, lust has to do with any desire of our flesh. A lust for food, a lust for power, a lust for fun, a lust for excitement, a lust for pleasure, a lust for position, a lust for stuff, a lust for things, a lust for money. It has to do with all of that, all of it. And most of us lust for these things. How I many of you don't believe me? Watch, watch TV, go home today and turn it on channel three and watch football games. There's a lust for football. I mean, my wife said every time we turn the TV on, wow, look at all those people. I mean, man, just thousands upon thousands of people gather for football on Sunday. And think about this, they gather for it on Monday as well, which means they take a day off, they travel just to go play football, just to watch football. Folks will kill you about football. They'll kill you about it. Lust for pleasure, lust for excitement and entertainment. We like to be entertained. That's why folks go to churches and the folks up there doing all they can trying to get the folks up. Man, I ain't here to entertain you. You looking for entertainment, you better get your phone out or turn your TV on. I can't help you. I cannot help you. That's not my calling. That's not my gift. I'm not going to try to hype you up. I'm not going to try to build you. I'm not going to try to get you to the place where you are. Oh, I, oh, I can't wait to go there. I'm going to make you wonder whether you want to come back or not. <laughs> when Satan was tempting Eve with the fruit, what did he appeal to? Lust of the flesh. He showed it was good for food. Lust of the eye. Showed it was, it was it's beautiful. He appealed to the lust for power. He showed her it was desirable to make one wise. And guess what? He's doing the same thing now. It's never changed. He twists God's test. He twists God's word. He play on our senses. He play on our mind. He play on our emotions. And this is his pattern for temptation now and forever. Satan's evil intention for temptation is found in verse 15. Look what James says. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Now see, you've got to look at those words. Lust, conceive, bring forth, sin, finish, bring forth. Okay? Now, Mark has mentioned again today the, the word that I always use, no. Remember the law of first mention. The word no was mentioned when Adam did what? New Eve. Not talking about a knowledge of who knowing Eve. When they became intimately acquainted, he knew Eve. And because he knew Eve, they did what? They brought forth what? A son. Okay? So when Adam knew Eve, he brought forth. See, you got the same words up here. Conceive, bring forth. So it's the same thing. Same thing taking place. Same thing that's happening here. Okay, so he uses word like conceive, bring forth, which really means to give birth. And then he uses the word death, bring forth. So he's talking about, he's talking about, he's he using intimate words here. Okay, he's using intimate words. Oh, so, so Satan's intention for temptation is our failure to pass God's test. Okay, so, and he don't start off big. 
He starts off small, just like a newly conceived baby starts off in a mother's womb. Guess what? It starts off as a what? A fertilized egg. Then a couple of cells, then a few more cells, then a tiny fetus. Guess what? It's the same way with temptation. It's the same thing. Guess what? It don't, and it don't start off where you can see it. It starts off small. It starts off little. It starts with God's test. Satan twists the temptation. Usually not big. Usually a little sin. Sometimes it's tiny that nobody notices it. Now watch what I'm saying. Okay? So lust conceive. In other words, I have a desire for something. Okay? Now desire turns it, it, it now conceives, in other words, where does the desire come from? Devil put something in your head, right? Okay, so now I'm looking at something, I want it. I want it, I want them, I want whatever. Okay, so it's a seed planted. Once a seed is planted, then that seed will turn into what? Cells, and then it'll turn into a fetus. And guess what? A woman can be pregnant and nobody know it but her. And guess what? It's the same way with us. Them little thoughts come into your head. Don't nobody know they're in your head. They don't know. Don't nobody know. Don't nobody know that you're sitting there thinking about robbing the Wells Fargo truck. Don't nobody know that but you. Don't nobody know that but you. So it's on the inside of you. And then when you, when you start to think on that thing and think on it, guess what? It conceives. And now, guess what? You walking around and you pregnant and don't nobody even know it until about five months and then you... <laughs> you walking around got a problem. Now everybody know it. Everybody know it. Yeah, that's how this works. That's how it works. It started out in the head as a seed, and then it, 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 it turns into, it, it turn out, it's a fertilized egg that the devil put in your mind. And I'm telling you now, not only does it work that way with the devil, it works that way with God. You can take the word of God, put it in your mind, and you can meditate on it. And then next thing you know, you'll be, and everybody know. You can bring forth something. Everybody in his life is bringing forth something. And is bringing forth what your lust, what you long for. See, it said now, the, the scriptures say when lust hath conceived, it's in the mind, it brings forth this thing going to be born, sin, and then when sin, when it is Finish when it's full grown, it births something else. Death. death. What is death? Death is simply separation. It's separation. When I die, my spirit and my soul separate from my body. You know, everybody talking about they, when they go to the funeral home, they're going to view you. Man, I've been gone. They talking about a home going, I left the day I took my last breath. You viewing the house that I used to live in. 
And sometimes these things are so tiny, nobody notices. Nobody know it. See, we think that our thoughts are private. But, but, the, but, but the Bible says God knows your thoughts before you get them. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. If God didn't know my thoughts, I could surprise him one day. I could sneak up on him. I could come out with something. He'd be like, what? I didn't know you would do that. God ain't surprised when you do stuff. He already know. So, but here's the warning. When love has conceived, it brings forth sin. It brings forth an action. And when that action is come full grown, it bursts something. Death. And that's the devil's ultimate goal is to separate you from God. That's his evil intention. Tend for you to fail. Small at first, but a foothold is a foothold. What you say, Brother Dillard? Don't let the devil ride. Because if you let him ride, he's going to want to drive. He's going to want to be your guide. Don't let him ride. Yeah. He's going to have to sing that for y'all one day. Don't let the devil ride. Because he he he, when, he, when he get in the car, he, 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 he content for a few minutes on the passenger side. Next thing you know, he reach over there and grab the wheel. Next thing you know, he's sitting in the seat and you wondering, when that happened? He's driving. So what can we do? What's the solution? James gives us the answer in verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err. That's pretty simple. Just don't sin. Don't fall for the lies of the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Recognize his dirty tricks and the lies that he put before you. Don't fall for them. See the tests and trials of life for what they are. What they're intended for. Intended for good, not evil. They're opportunities for God to show himself strong in your weakness. They're opportunities for his name to be glorified in your life. That's what they're for. That's why you brought low so they can say, so, so they can watch God bring you up. That's why you high so, so, so they can say, I know God did that. See, when folks look at me at work, they be like, man, you're so smart. I said, man, I'm dominant wet leather. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. I'm promise, I promise you that. I promise you. So he'll be glorified. Opportunity for God to shine in the darkness while people are watching you. And trust me, folks, you got an audience. You got folks watching you. They looking at you. They watching your life. They want to see. And listen at this one now. Listen now. Even if you are passing the test in your life, that in itself can be a test. To tempt you. Because you can be like the man in Luke 18. I thank God that I'm not as other men are. I fast twice in a week. I tithe of all that I possess. And too often we forget where our righteousness comes from. It comes from God. We forget where our goodness comes from. It comes from God. With it, you in and of yourself. If you are left to yourself by yourself. You would self destruct. You would do what the worst people in the world would do. You go kill somebody, rob somebody, 
steal something, you'll go do everything you think you wouldn't do. Amen. Only difference between me and the convict, me and the drug addict, me and the prisoner is Jesus. Amen. Most of us are probably failing some of the tests that God gives us. Most of us find ourselves with Paul in, in Romans 7, 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I, do, I would not, that I do. How many folk find yourself in that place? I want to do good. I'm trying to do good. But I find myself doing what I don't want to do. Amen. Are you frustrated? Because you know the right thing. But you keep doing the wrong thing. You know the right answer to the test. But you keep giving the wrong answers. Are you falling for the lies of the devil? Have you given in to, the temp in to his temptation in your life? Has that temptation that was conceived in you grown into sin? Is it manifesting itself so other people can know it? And guess what? You, if you leave it unchecked, only end up in one place. Death. Separation. Separation from God. We need to be like Paul in Romans 7, 14. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of the, the, from the body of this death? Who's going to deliver me? That's the question he's asking. Are you wondering who's going to deliver you from this body of death? Paul says in Romans 7, 25, I thank God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one, the only one that can deliver you. He's the only one that can deliver you. So, ask Jesus to rescue you from the body of death. Pass the test. There's a test placed before you right now. And what is that test? To admit this is where I am. To acknowledge this is who I am. And to ask Jesus to set you free and deliver you. That's the test. That's the test. The nature of the test. God mean it for good. The devil want to twist it and turn it to a temptation and cause you to fail and defame and disgrace God. And everything that you do in life can possibly potentially become and be a test for you. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of hearing your voice. I pray, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves. For Jeremiah said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know his own heart and mind? Sometimes we don't even know who we are ourselves. We don't know what we'll do in and of our own selves. So, Lord, we cry out to you for help. We cry out to you for mercy. We cry out to you, Lord God, and ask you to help us and set us free from the sin in our lives. We ask, set us free from the thing that might be lust right now. Set us free from the thing that might be conceived. Might set us free from the thing that might even be, have been brought forth, born into our lives and manifest in our lives. Liberate, deliver, and set your people free. We bless you for it. We praise you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.